Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Heart of Sports. I'm Jason Springer, joined in studio this week by Sean Kennedy as Jeff Cohen is traveling for business and Jeff Rutberg is recovering from some knee surgery. Uh, we may have them call in later in the show. We'll see. We're back with you on 610 AM Sports, ESPN Radio, ready to help you move into the weekend, talking about all the news in the world of sports. If you want to join us, you can hop on. So much going on in Philadelphia right now. Number is 888-728-9941. Again, that number is 888-728-9941. Sean Kennedy, when we last got off the air on this show, we had Rich Hoffman telling us the Sixers might trade up for the number one pick. What a difference a week makes. Pretty crazy, right? What's going on? Absolutely. It's exciting. Thanks for having me here. It's a great time to talk sports. Did you watch the draft last night? Of course. The, NBA, the NBA draft is, the, is easily the best draft. I actually sat and watched till the last pick. I'm that guy. I, I definitely did. I watched it all. I watched all the Sixers trades. Because um, you're a Sixers fan and you should be excited. Because, I, because, I am. Because, Jason, uh, the process is working. Okay, so it's a good thing that Jeff Rutberg isn't here because he wouldn't appreciate the process talk. He may call in in the third segment and tell you his thoughts on the process right now. I heard some people say that um, the process is over. I don't think it is. I think the process will continue, but it's time for them to make some progress. And the way that they're talking, it looks like they're trying to start to put a legitimate team on the court. I heard Colangelo earlier saying, you know, they're not sure what there's going to be in terms of minutes restrictions this year, whether they'll have that, that they're looking to put that foundation in place. I don't know what they'll do with a free agent, but let, let's get your thoughts first on what happened in the past week, the frenzy that happened in the NBA. Sean, I was more interested in what happened in the last week in the NBA in the offseason than almost during the regular season and the postseason. Absolutely. Listen, and especially in Philadelphia, and I said this to you today, Philadelphia is a basketball town. They it, just announced that they had basically sold out. People are excited. 14,000 tickets are excited. sold out for season ticket plans. And they are going to be very competitive very soon. It, it, so now the expectations have risen. I hear people saying playoffs. I'm not quite there yet, and we'll talk records soon. But let's go back and recap what happened this past week because – Last Saturday night, all of a sudden, you had news that the Sixers were going to make trade for the number one pick. Markel Fultz is in to work out at Sixers uh, facility in Camden. They're live streaming it on Facebook and putting out pictures with Joel Embiid and Dario Sarge taking pictures at a locker with Fultz's name on it already. Then all of a sudden, there's speculation after the Sixers make their pick that there's going to be other trades going on. It was a pretty crazy week, right? Listen, as I said, the NBA draft is exciting, and especially when you're in a city that has gone through the last few years like the Sixers have to finally start to see things start to happen and get excited. Um, it, it's a great time to be a Philadelphia sports fan. There's no question. So Brett Brown said he said he sent Sam Hinkie a thank you text, which I think Sam Hinkie deserves because let's look at this. Um, what the Sixers did was they traded up from the number three to the number one pick, and they traded their pick this year and either their pick that they have from the Lakers next year that's protected, it, if it falls between two and five, it goes to the Lakers. Otherwise, if it's the number one pick or anything below that for the Lakers, the Sixers keep it, and then they get the Kings pick in 2019. If you're not in a position in 2019 where you're making the playoffs, you have some challenges in the process larger than your draft picks at that point. You have to reevaluate the process. So for me, when you look at it, basically the Sixers traded their 2017 fifth round pick, Michael Carter Williams, Arturis Gaudidis, and Luka Mitrovic for this 2017 first overall pick. Great trade. I still don't trade. think we're going to the playoffs yet. 
doesn't matter because you wouldn't be in the playoffs without having done what they did. They are no. in, they are in position to be competitive. They are in position to be competitive soon, and they're certainly in position to be a very very good team in the post LeBron era. So the Sixers had twenty eight wins last season. Uh, what would you consider a reasonable improvement? And mind you, in my opinion, the East got worse. It did. You know, you've got the Bulls traded Butler away for not very much, in my opinion. Um, the Cavs, not very who much. Knows, who they knows? Got, they got robbed. They, I, I was shocked. I was shocked that Minnesota was able to add him. Minnesota is basically, in my opinion, two years ahead of the Sixers in their process. The only problem with Minnesota is they play in a conference with the West. With exactly. Far, far better teams. And certainly Golden State right now seems to be as close to unbeatable as you can get. So if you look at some of the stats, Fultz is only the third player out of the Pac-10 taking number one uh, with Kareem and Bill Walton. He's only two freshmen have averaged more points than him over the last 10 years, Kevin Durant and Michael Beasley. He's in some good company of Durant, and you know, in terms of players, you you, you, you just said you're not ready to put him in the playoffs. I'm not, and and you're comparing him to Kevin Durant. No, so I'm not just, comparing him to Kevin Durant. I'm okay. happy to say, just making that, sure you're clarifying that who's done some of the things that he has. Here's why I'm not ready to call them a team that's there. Their oldest player that's probably going to be a starter is 26 years old at Robert Covington. Embiid's 23, Dario's 23, Rashawn Holmes is 23, Timothy Cabarro is 22, Simmons is 20, Fultz just turned 19, and they're talking that Furkan might come over it, and he's 19 too. So it's the first time you have two number one picks that are both going to play as rookies together on the same court. You've got a team that's going to have to learn how to win. They're going to have to learn how to be professionals with young guys, and I want to see I'm not looking for them to make the huge splash in free agency, but I want to see some veterans that can mentor these players, teach them how to be professionals, teach them how to play in the NBA and how to you know, take care of their body and, and what they have going on with and, everything. And I think you'll see that. And I think the excitement that you've seen between the tweets from Embiid and, and, and all the fans, I think you're going to see that. I think, you, I think that they have started to build an organization that people are excited about, not just the people in the city who have already sold out for next year. But people around the league, they want to be a part of Philadelphia is a great, great basketball city. So I think we have a caller on the line who is excited about the Sixers and what's going on. Aaron from South Jersey, are you there? I am. Aaron, what did you think last night? Uh, are you a happy Sixers fan today? Uh, I have been a full process supporter since the very beginning. Um, the worst thing to do is, I know Sean agrees, uh, the worst thing to do is to be caught in, in mediocrity. And um, what what the season what the season ticket sales that you see already uh, leading the NBA by the way uh, is a demonstration of hope. That's what makes the process successful. For the first time in in decades, we have legitimate hope that we're building a winner, a contender for the long haul. It, the process doesn't have to be successful for us to win a championship. The process is successful by generating realistic hope and excitement among the fans, because that's not what we had. Every time before that, you get to the playoffs, maybe you get lucky and the Chicago Bulls are losing their first two, uh, their, their best two players, and you win a playoff round. You get a Pyrrhic victory, think you're closer, and then you spend lots of money and assets in trying to chase a pipe dream. And it leads to you know, destructive moves like uh, you know, getting Andrew Bynum, Moves of desperation because the NBA is a poorly designed league, and unfortunately, the amount of teams that have a realistic hope of winning anything 
are a handful. When and it's, fun- it's so hard to improve. It's funny you say that because if we look back at 2013 before Hinky took over, the core of this team was Drew Holiday, Thad Young, Evan Turner, and Spencer Hawes. We had no cap space. We didn't really have many good picks or assets. So people can have their opinions about the process. But if you look at where we were then and where we are now, sure, it wasn't a comfortable ride for a lot of people as a fan to be there. But where we are now and where we're set up to go in terms of picks going into the future, players that are now still stashed in Europe that are coming over, young players that are going to grow together. What do you think that this team still needs, in your opinion, as a fan to put them over the top now? Well, I mean, first of all, they need time. Um, and, you know, I, I like what, what BC has said about, about giving them you know, time to, to not maybe make a big commitment to a free agent this year. See what they have. See how they fit in. We think we know what they are. We think we know what they can be, but you don't really know. I mean, look, as much as they thought what Embiid could be, I think he surprised all of us with his, with his outside shooting touch. Um, in addition, Sarich was a much better low post player than I think a lot of us thought he would be. But meanwhile, he, he struggled a little bit from three-point line, which makes sense, by the way, because he, as a gym rat, he probably practiced at the exact long two line in the NBA, which is the international three-point line. So I, I have some faith that he'll improve that. But you don't know what you have. So I think to maintain some flex, some flexibility is, is, the, is the way to go. Adding, you know, a couple vets, you know, on one-year deals the way they did last year, the way, you know, uh, with Henderson. And, and remember, you're getting Bayless back. But I have, a, I have an example for you where a team that was just as young as the Sixers are actually got into the playoffs. Remember the 1993-94 Denver Nuggets? They had, uh, that was with uh, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf and Dikembe Mutombo and Robert Pack and Rodney Rogers, and that was a really young team. There was, there was one player with six years' experience. All the rest had four years or less experience. They actually upset Seattle in the first round. I remember now, I that. That, up to, that, right, that was so one of my visuals, just Kembe Mutombo laying on the floor holding the basketball, with celebrating the after that's they upset right. in the first round. 94. That's right. So That's right. And so, so there's a real example, and led by a young, two, you know, a young dynamic defensive center who got rebounds and he could he could dunk the ball. Yeah, you know, he wasn't any type of offensive force. But you look at the stats of what of what team of what the team did when Embiid was healthy, and you're adding Simmons and Fultz. I, I'm just saying, I, I don't think in in the Eastern Conference, as you correctly pointed out. We got weaker. The Eastern Eastern Conference got weaker. Bulls are, what are they? I, I have no idea what they're doing. By the way, they're getting younger. Meanwhile, they're selling a draft pick to you know. But but that that's that's aside. Why can't you make a run? The, the question is health. In my opinion, you know, 41 games, which gets you in the playoffs, is not out of question if you're just reasonably healthy. Uh, which which is a which is an asterisk with this team. I, you know, it is, but. I don't see why, if they're healthy, why they can't do that. I, I, I don't. I, to me, it's. I don't see why they can't get there. Aaron, what do you think about Brett Brown? Is he the answer as this team gets better, or do you need to see? Well, um, I mean, I need to see a little bit, but I, uh, but I, I think he's done a nice job so far. Uh, you know, to keep, you know, to establish a winning culture is, is he comes from one. I don't know if he's done it yet, but, you know, he's, he's kept a lot of the kids working hard, and these, these are kids, and, they're, and a lot of them are buying in, with, with a notable exception. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that he deserves a, a, a chance to show it. And, you know, there were times last year where they really looked good, whether you watch in basketball, and it's fun basketball. 
Hey, so for me, hey you know, Aaron, our, he our, deserves, he deserves some, our yeah. phone lines are going out a little bit here, so I'm going to let you go. But on the Brett Brown point before I do, I heard him on the radio today. He, do you know how he's had 80 players that he's coached in his four years as Sixers coach? Just think about that. that. that how are you supposed remarkable. to have a winning culture? with the turnover of having 80 players on the roster. So we're glad you called in. Sorry we're not going to keep you a little longer. Just uh, some challenges with the phone lines here in studio today. But definitely call in again in future weeks. We'll talk more, okay? All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Take care, guys. Jason, same question to you, though. And and we started getting in with Aaron. He made a lot of great points. It's a little bit different to be the coach for what the Sixers have been. It's it's a, just a it's a different entire. Well, uh, and can can we don't know? Can he be the guy that takes this team to where they want to well, go? And I've I've kind of talked to Jeff Cohen about this. Some um, neither of us sort of believe that the process is a success if there's hope. Hope is not success. I, I want to win. I I don't want to but, hope to win. But let me anymore. but let me but let me stop you there. And th- and that's some that's you and I for the most part agree on that. But that's where we part company a little bit. The the only goal that you have as an organization and as a fan of an organization is to win a championship. Yes, that's it. Yes. So the people who were anti-process were frustrated that they were winning ten games. Yes. Right. They were frustrated that they were not competitive. The point is though, if you're forty-two and forty. And as Aaron pointed out, maybe you win a first-round series. The, the, and I think Aaron even said this. The worst thing you can be as a fan mediocre. is mediocre well, because that's... there's never any real hope of winning a championship. So so to the people who didn't like the process, yeah, you know, you're going to go down to the Wells Fargo Center and, you're, and the Sixers are going to maybe win more games and maybe they get into the playoffs and maybe they win a playoff series. But they're never going to be a threat to win a championship. So as I, and I think Aaron pointed this out. There's no guarantee – that the process is going to yield a championship, but no. but not doing it absolutely guarantees you never win a championship. There's a difference with a team that's 42 and 40 with aging players and and no real um, assets or potential for the future, which is what from you a would young have had. team that's on the the come up. So not all 42 and 40 records are the same, in my opinion. It, it, no question. Um, I I do think that. The the bar has been raised, and Embiid himself being out there continues to raise the bar with with he and Fultz talking playoffs. And look, I want my players to say that they're the best going on, but rightfully so. I mean, Jason, for unequivocally, we know they had the two most recent number one picks, and Embiid Embiid really should have been the number one pick. Should have, other than the fact that he was hurt that that year at Kansas, but. They have three of literally the best, you know, the best players coming out of college in the last few years. They should be on the precipice, and I think they are. It, they, I think they are. I just don't think that next year is it. I, I would not like to. I'd like to see them, like I said, get get veterans in that can help these players grow, and then next year, really, you know, and next year and the year after that, bring in that that piece that's the veteran player that can take you over to the top with these young players that have skill. I did think that the trade that they made to get back into the first round where they basically gave up nothing. I mean, they gave up a 2021 first round pick for Oklahoma city. That's protected in the top 20 and becomes two second rounders. And then they gave up a, like a 2022 pick for Brooklyn or the Knicks, whichever is worse in the second round to get back into the first round and get what seems to be a little bit of insurance for Embiid because now you have another big man that is athletic with Rashawn Holmes in the backcourt there because it doesn't seem like Okafor is going to be a part of the future. 
I was shocked that the Celtics didn't at least ask them to throw Okafor in so that I, they could see. I was too. He it, literally has no value right now. No one in the league wants him. No it's, value. It's, it's incredible. No value at all. He it, literally is irrelevant. Whose fault is that? Is that the Sixers' fault? Okafor's fault? I mean, everybody shares some responsibility. I, I have said all along, I do not believe that he fits into the offense that they are running. The dra- which, I mean, but the draft itself is an inexact science. I mean, for all of the superstars that have come out, there's a lot of first-round busts that we can talk is, about. So I can't He's I can't a back-to-the-basket the type center. He's not a run-the-court and the type of players that they have around him, he slows them down. In, in Indiana or some other, you know, Utah where they, they run a different type of offensive set, I think he could be more effective. There's no, right. There's no question that the system that you get drafted into plays a huge role in your success. But but I can't blame the Sixers for taking Okafor. I mean, he was clearly viewed as as easily one of the top players in that draft. Without a doubt. And and I I can't remember who I wanted, to be honest, at that point. I have a hard time remembering what, what happened yesterday at points. Here's the thing that's exciting to me. So I've got a four-and-a-half-month-old at home. He is going to grow up with me going to games, watching these young players become professional athletes and hopefully bring excitement into this city. That's something that I've never, I've always gone with my parents and experienced that. To be able to experience that with my child and and see what's going on now with a lot of the teams in the city, you know, the, the excitement around the Eagles with their young, hopeful franchise quarterback, the Phillies, although a tough season with some of the guys in the farm system that hopefully my son can grow up watching. It's the, the Flyers with their farm system, and they'll have the number two pick tonight. It, it gives excitement that I was telling you before the show, the Sixers haven't had excitement where it's been disappointment would come after. People would get excited about what they saw, but they didn't expect it. So when they lost or when it happened, they weren't so much disappointed. They were resigned to the fact that they were a bad team. I think what happens now is expectations are raised that people will be disappointed if they're not good again. And that's what's going to make it more and more exciting as they get better is as those those hopes get raised for people. But again, the success will be ultimately what happens. Let's talk the draft real fast, okay? Got two minutes before we go to the break. Most freshmen drafted in a lottery in a single year, 11 taken this year. Right, and that's a good point. And I wanted to say this to you earlier. We had Aaron online, but think about, you talk about age. I would just say that looking at age is a little bit skewed than it used to be because more and more guys are one and done. More and more guys are 19 and, and learning in the league. Absolutely. And they're learning as they go as opposed to the old days when they played three or four years in college. Absolutely. Despite conversations, no deal yet between Indiana and Boston for Paul George. Listen, I got to tell you, I like Danny Ainge, and I love him as a player. And what you, is he doing? If you if you watch the 30 for 30, I thought that was the best 30 for 30 that ESPN has done. What between is the Lakers. he doing? He has accumulated all these assets, and he's great he's at doing Sam that. Sam Hinkie Jr. He, no, Sam Hinkie has done a better job. <laughs> but Ainge has accumulated all these assets, and he really has nothing to show for it. No. Jay Crowder and Jalen Brown. He could have gotten Jimmy Butler. He was he didn't want to he didn't want to trade the number three pick for Jimmy Butler. I was I, I was I, shocked I, to learn I, that I, to then to then go and take Tatum, who they say they would have taken with the number one pick, who I don't even think would have been. Tatum there. is a nice player. He but, will be he will be a solid NBA player. But, but apparently he is not they a didn't star. take Josh Jackson because they he weren't didn't. happy that he canceled. Well, if you heard that, but them. if you heard that story, that's that. I mean, it that is kind of funny. They made him fly all the way out there. The Sacramento. A few other things that happened. Lakers made moves. They got Lonzo. We'll, and which we'll see. They traded Mozgov and Russell to open up $54 million in cap space. Wait for them in free agency in the coming years. 
big moves for them. Well, Paul George. You that's, just brought up Paul George. Paul George has said, explain this to me. Paul George has said he wants to play for L.A., but there are re- rumors that he will go to Boston. Uh, look, I it's the weather's better in L.A. Um, if, if we could just... So uh, I enjoyed the Calipari 30 for 30. With Bam Abadeo being drafted last night, 32 out of the 64 players that have played for him in his eight years in Kentucky have been drafted. Yep, one championship. But 50% of the players have been drafted. So Because they go there knowing that it is a JV so NBA. is the goal of the college player now to get themselves drafted or to win a title? No, I think it's to get themselves... I think the one and done has made people just almost go... You know, we talked about this briefly, but, you know, Ben Simmons... Markel Fultz. Yeah. They never played in an NCAA tournament. No. They had to go to college for a year. Yes. So you're going to get that. It's like your your mandatory service. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) All right. You're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM. We'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk with Bill Holmes of Boxing Boxing Insider. Hopefully the phones will hold out about the Ward-Kovalev fight last week and the Mayweather-McGregor fight coming up later this summer. Stay with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 or visit on the web at www.newjerseyshares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon residential landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. Great to be back with you on the Heart of Sports on 610 AM Sports. You can join in the conversation and have some fun at 888-728-9941. Okay, Sean, last Saturday night after I finished watching Markel Fultz work out on Facebook Live, because yes, I did that. He was at PCOM. I sat down to watch the rematch of Andre Ward, Alexei Kovalev, and between that fight and Mayweather-McGregor fight in August, I knew I needed to talk some boxing. So I reached out to Bill Holmes, a boxing insider, and decided I wanted to bring him on the air with us. Bill, I know you're having some back problems, so you're probably laying on the back staring at the ceiling, but I hope you're feeling well enough to talk to us about some boxing. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm always well enough to talk about boxing. You know that. Always well um, enough. Well, we'll try and get... That fight last weekend was great. We'll try and get through it. Um, we're having a little bit of phone issues, so if we don't go the whole time, we'll make sure to get you back on. We're having some clicking, so we'll let you know. I got a okay. question first. So they, it was a TKO in the eighth round with Tony Weeks stopping the fight. Were they low blows? <laughs> I, I think they were low blows. I mean, it looked like he hit Ward, hit Kovalev four times low blows. But Kovalev's shorts were out pretty high. And he was also bending over at the time, if you watched the replay. Um, 
And like when you're bending over like that, you're not defending yourself. Um, you're really giving Ward no opportunity to really to, to throw punches at his body. And like 20 seconds before the stoppage, Ward landed a nasty straightaway cross on a Kovalev's chin. So I, I don't think the result would have been different if the fight wasn't stopped. Uh, Kovalev was definitely fading pretty bad. His punches didn't have the same type of snap that they usually did, and, and Andre Ward looked like he was starting to uh, get into his groove. He, so he definitely. I, I do think he didn't argue the stoppage. Kovalev didn't seem to argue with Tony Weeks on on stepping in. So that, for me, although they complained about the low blows after the fact, I agree with you. It looked like he was struggling a little bit in the ring and didn't have kind of the zip that he had from the start of the fight. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And if you remember from the first fight, I mean, Ward suffered that first that early knockdown, but he adjusted, you know, and uh, he took over in the second half of the fight. And in this fight, it looked like Ward was more prepared from the start. And um, I don't think the outcome would have been different. He was definitely taking over the bout. Um, so I, I don't this, I don't argue with the stoppage. Uh, Kovalev definitely wasn't happy. Uh, Kathy Duva made events was extremely upset. But um, it was a good stoppage. And uh, Ward definitely earned his spot up, um, on the top of the pound-for-pound list. Without a doubt. It was, uh, it was a fascinating fight to watch. I look forward to seeing the replay this week. Ward really is a, a special talent. But... It didn't seem to get too much excitement going on. You know, uh, Triple G and Canelo is kind of getting some excitement, but nothing's really getting the excitement like uh, Mayweather and McGregor. So let's talk oh, about the, uh, that the, for a second. The, circ- the circus show. The, the, the Cirque de Boxing, right? Yeah. Is this it, a real it, thing? It, like, is it? Uh, I have Sean here, and Sean's not 100% sure... Um, you know, it's funny. I, I think that you're more with me and that you think that Mayweather will, will win. Sean is not counting out McGregor, sort of the puncher's chance kind of guy. Um, because right. only And because he believes McGregor's not afraid of Mayweather. Go ahead, Sean. I'll let you speak for yourself. No. L- listen, Bill, it's, an, it's really a pleasure to have you on. I'm a huge boxing guy, as Jason knows. And, and I'm not just going to be the, 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 the token Irish guy that's going to sit here and tell you that Conor McGregor's going to win. <laughs> but... But if you saw, and I'm sure you did, if you saw the comments recently from Nate Jones, who is the assistant trainer with Mayweather, he, he said some things that at least give me some optimism about this. He First of all, he said that he's worried that McGregor, quote, is going to do something crazy, right? Which that tells me. Now, I don't think Connor's going to do something crazy. And in fact, there's a clause in the contract where he'd lose a lot of money. So I, I, I don't see that. But the fact that he's thinking about that, right? If you're thinking about it, that means you're at least not completely focused on what you're doing. And he also said, and I thought this was interesting, you could touch on this, but he also said that from what it looks like, he said that McGregor seems to have the most power of anyone that that Floyd has faced. And in fact, he quote, he said he has crazy weird power and he's got weird shots from weird angles. I'm worried about that. And, and so my point is, I get it. Look, Floyd is almost unhittable. He's the best defensive boxer in the history of the sport. There's no question. But he doesn't knock anybody out. I don't think Connor's going to be afraid of him. And if he's not afraid of him, can't you at least make the argument that he's going to hit him once? Well, listen, you can definitely make the argument that Connor McGregor can win. Um, Floyd, Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather has a history of trouble with South Pauls when he fought Zab Judah. A lot of people thought Zab Judah was winning the first round, first half of the fight. Yeah, Judah, so, Judah hit him. Me, yep, I watched that. I watched that again recently. Yeah. I agree, Bill. When he fought Jose Luis Castillo the first time, um, Castillo actually outlanded Mayweather. Uh, when he fought Manny Pacquiao, uh, Floyd Mayweather actually landed at the lowest 
connect percentage of his career, even though he won clearly, but he didn't land as many punches as he's normally uh, used to landing. And then, you know, Mayweather also had has problems with brawlers when he fought Marcus Maidana. Maidana roughed him up on the inside. And then when you look at the physicals, Conor McGregor, I think, has about a two-inch reach advantage on Floyd. And almost every boxer Floyd Mayweather has fought in the past 10 years, Floyd had a reach advantage. So he's fighting someone who has the reach, who's a lefty, who's willing to brawl, and, um, you know, who's, um, who's a pretty good striker and has a good gauge of distance. But the thing you got to remember is that Conor McGregor has never fought inside of a boxing ring. If you were to take the UFC's best fighter at 160 and have him wrestle Jordan Burroughs, Jordan Burroughs would, would beat him every time. If you had the best UFC fighter face a gold medalist in judo, the gold medalist in judo would win under those set of rules. And Conor McGregor, yeah, he has power, but he has power when he's fighting with 4-ounce gloves, not 10- or 12-ounce gloves. So does Conor McGregor have a chance? No, he really doesn't. I mean, you can definitely make the argument. <laughs> I, I like how you set that up, you though. Can make the argu- you, you, you can make the argument in order to sell the fight. Like, hey, like Conor McGregor's a lefty. He's, he's got the reach on him. He's got the power. But he, he's never boxed before. And if you look at his sparring footage with, with Chris Van Hardeen, uh, who, who boxed our Earl Spence about a year or two ago and got absolutely destroyed, Van Hardeen was having his way with Conor. And, and he's like a B-level fighter, and you're talking about an A-plus fighter. That was my now, question I mean, to Sean. Does have how, how does McG- uh, McGregor even match up to Mayweather's speed? I mean, it's just going to be blinding for him. He's never he does, seen anything but, but, like that. Yeah, but Jason, he doesn't. No one matches up with his speed, and 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 he doesn't get hit. I Which get, is why he's still undefeated. <laughs> but as but as but but as Bill just pointed but as Bill just pointed out, two guys that probably don't punch as hard as Connor did hit him a few times. And and I again, look, I am no way. Well, I, I don't even know. I don't even. I don't even know if they if that's true because Connor fights with four ounce gloves. Fair, and, Bill. You know, fair. We don't know. Have, you're right, Bill. You're right. But the point bo- is, boxers, is, boxers have conditioned their chins for years and years to be able to take a punch uh, better than MMA fighters. I think boxers, in general, are able to take a punch a lot better than an MMA fighter. So, like when Conor McGregor knocked out Eddie Alvarez, I, I don't know how much Eddie Alvarez spends boxing. Um, and you also got to remember, like Floyd, Floyd's been in with the best, the best in the sport has has to offer. Oscar De La Hoya. Yeah, well, Bill, 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 let me let me stop you there. Come on. He fought Oscar when Oscar was, what, 35? He had just lost two of his last four fights. He fought Manny when he was way past. I, I mean, listen, I know Manny's fighting. Uh, who's he fighting now? Jeff. Jeff Is it Jeff Van Horn or Jeff Horn? I mean, just Jeff Horn. But who else? Marcos Madonna, Saul Alvarez, Robert Guerrero, uh, Cotto was way past Ortiz. But has, I mean, has, has anyone come close to Ricky no. Hatton? Think no, Ricky Hatton, Hatton didn't come close. I no, give you that. But nobody's come close. You're not going to give anybody credit, Sean. Let him talk. <laughs> Bill, go ahead, because I'm going to have to, unfortunately, I'm going to have to let you go after this, because the lines are just clicking here in the studio, and so I'm sorry it's not clearer for you, but go ahead. No, 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 no problem. I mean, it's, I, I don't see Connor standing a chance. I would rather him see, I'd rather him look at his sparring footage with Chris Van Hardeen online. But Bill, let me ask you, you Bill, let me ask you one question. Let me ask you one question though. And and you touched on this cuz you said even you know the Pacquiao fight was completely one-sided. It was horrible. Right? Everybody was so excited I paid for that. I was every, so disappointed. Every, Jason, everybody I, I don't did. think I don't think I don't think it was complete, I don't think it was completely one-sided. But it but it, I thought it was close to But it people. didn't come close to living up to the hype. I, I would at least say for the spectacle Correct. and for the excitement that this fight at least has a chance to surpass you know boxing got pure boxing guys like you who don't expect it to be anything. I my point is I, I agree. Floyd Mayweather is going to win the fight, but I think Conor has a chance to make it more competitive than people think. 
I, I think the first round will be one of the most exciting rounds in boxing of all time. Nice. But after that, once Floyd, second round, it'll be clear Mayweather. And, that's, and that first round is why people will buy the fight. That right there is why yeah. it will make all the money. Just because people want to be a part of that spectacle to be able to talk about it. They want to see what happens. Bill, I hate to not keep you on longer because I really want to talk more boxing. And we will throughout the summer. But the sound quality just isn't really great. And I, I want to make sure we bring you back. If that's okay, we'll bring you back in a couple of weeks. No problem. Whatever you want to. All right. I got plenty more to ask you about. So feel better with your back and we'll bring you back on, okay? All right. Talk Thank to you later. Sorry about that to our callers for trying to uh, get it all worked out and figure everything out, but a uh, l- little technical challenge there. I was hoping to get his uh, Triple G Alvarez prediction, but you'll, you'll get it over the summer. You promise. I promise. I will bring him back on and ask him because that's the fight that I want to see. Uh, their their styles should be very well in terms of styles make fights, and that's the type of fight that I think will be enjoyable to fans. Uh, I, I do agree with him that the first round of that fight of McGregor Mayweather is going to be kind of crazy it's going to be the spectacle with flash bulbs going off and the arena a buzz and and that is why they will show sell what they do for it it's going to be a, a big thing Are you going to buy it of course you're going to buy it of course i'm going to buy it but i but i watch all those fights i mean that's it's a, it, it listen it will be exciting i'm not and i want to make it clear i am not predicting that connor wins but i am but i'm saying and i think i, I said this to bill Let's not get crazy. He Mayweather has handpicked his opponents for the last eight years. And he hasn't fought anybody who really has a chance to knock him if out. If you look to Vegas, when the fight was announced, Mayweather was minus eleven hundred. But by Saturday afternoon, Mayweather's odds came in half, down to minus six hundred. One sportsbook manager described it as a square of palooza and said everyone and their cousin wants action on this fight. There's going to be so much interest. I wonder whether it's possible to live up to the hype. It, it, it's just going to, and that was the the challenge that Mayweather Pacquiao had. There was so much build up when neither of them really had styles that would would be sort of conducive to each other. It's just you know a little bit much there. And it happened what five years after it should have. So we didn't really see what we wanted to see from that fight. It did. Okay. So we got a couple of minutes before we had to break. We, we cut a little early with Bill there. Um, let me ask you a question, Sean. Uh, there's three-on-three basketball. You going to watch? It depends on who's playing. I think it's, 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 it sounds like a fun idea, but it depends on who's playing. You're talking about the Olympics. Uh, they, they're going to put it in the Olympics, but there's also going to be a three-on-three uh, league. Allen Iverson. Iverson's involved. Doc is, a, Doc is a coach. Is this a gimmick? Sure, but people will watch it. It's is it, fun. Is it like the Globetrotters type no, gimmick? No, the Globetrotters the is not like real. What, what type of gimmick is this? I think this is real basketball. I think this is guys that just can't play in the NBA anymore for different reasons, and and they're probably still going to be really competitive. Listen, the guys that are in this league are far better than any pickup game in the country, and and those are fun to watch, right? So I think you're going to have a lot of fun. Allen Iverson, can, I'm sure he can still play. Is this targeted at the group of people who don't find the regular games in the professional leagues exciting enough? Is there are they looking for a niche audience, or are they hoping to catch on? Do you think with the casual, you know, hardcore sports fan? I think basketball is just an extremely popular sport in this country, and I think it's a fun it's a fun thing. Three on three is fun. I I remember hoop it up three on three. They used to go around the country. They played in the parking lot of Franklin Mills Mall years ago. And had tournaments where people could go and play against each other. Now, I was never good enough to do anything. I'd get blocked just going on the court. 
I mean, I'd step on the court and somebody would trip me and block the ball. So it's really not something that I ever participated Listen, in. I, I think it'll be fun to watch. Now, I don't know about an Olympic sport. Would and, you pay? Would you pay to go watch it? Because that's what I ask people all the time. Would you spend your hard-earned money to go watch X, Y, or Z? Yeah, and I'll tell you, and I'll put it this way. I've I've paid to go to the the professional tennis, whatever that is, because you get to see John McEnroe and Venus Williams and these superstars up close. Mm -hmm. And I think you'll get to see that. There'll be 2,000 people there, and you'll be close to Allen Iverson. Be honest. You're going to go with a basketball trying to get Iverson's autograph. You're going to like storm the court and they're going to have to like take you off. Listen, I love the answer. I mean, that was probably the last time basketball was really exciting around here. But I will tell you that it's going to be fun. Though. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah, it's a gimmick, but it'll be fun to watch. It is. A, it is a gimmick. And but if you look at the be... players in the league, I mean, those are they're, they're legit. They, they definitely put. Well, Mike Bibby they are, is one, they of the, are one of the names. I don't know what shape they, they are all play. in. Jason, they can still play and they can beat any pickup game in this country. Well, I agree. By but, far. But again, unless the king and the duck are still playing but, somewhere. <laughs> the little white men can't jump reference <laughs> there. Now we're talking. But people aren't buying tickets to white men can't jump or a schoolyard game. And they're going to try and make this something that's sellable to the public. And to me, that's the difference in terms of talent is. The talent has to match the names. Otherwise, the product won't be... People go watch arena football. Can you name an arena football player? Uh, yeah, actually, we had Larico okay. Stevenson in here. On you got the, my, so, sorry, we had him on the point. show. But, but, but every the single, undefeated. But every single person in this league will be an identifiable But you look at the flip side NBA of that star. is the XFL, where they had the buzz around mm-hmm. the idea of football but didn't have the talent in the league. That's different. So it's like a these combination are, of factors. these are all... Former pros. Former yes, pros. exactly. Most and of they, whom are widely known. And they definitely have a name and, and can see what they can make People will it. watch it, if that's your question. People yes. will watch it. Yes. Um, I don't think it'll be as big as like uh, the NBA draft or anything. No. <laughs> but people will watch it. It's amazing how drafts in general have turned into spectacles. Look at, look at the NFL draft. It was great for the city. It was. The the economic impact. And actually, um, I saw that Dallas may be passing one of those laws that, that create outrage um, among some people locally about um, you know different genders and, and bathrooms and rights and stuff that they had in Charlotte when the, the national championship and the NCAA moved things. Out of Charlotte, it looks like the NFL may potentially not go to Dallas next year for the draft because of what's going on there in the legislature. If that doesn't happen, Philadelphia would probably be the likely fallback to come Bring back. Bring it back. I, 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 didn't, I didn't see or hear any negative comment about Philadelphia. No, it, it really Rave was. Reviews. It was the best of the city was what this draft was. The camera views, the, the atmosphere, the... The, the jovial nature among all fans that were there, regardless of what team, because they all had the same interest. It, it was fun. It was definitely fun to be a part of. Agreed. Bring so, it back. So we're running out of time here in this segment. Uh, you're listening to The Heart of Sports on 610 AM. It's time for a short break. When we return, we've got some Phillies. We've got some U.S. Open golf. We've got lots going on in the sports world to talk about. So stick with us. Are you looking for a lifeline? Verizon New Jersey Shares Communication Lifeline is a statewide nonprofit that provides assistance to individuals and families living in New Jersey, those who are in need of temporary help in paying their communication and energy bills. Want to know how to apply? All you need to do is call Verizon New Jersey Shares at 1-888-337-3339 
or visit on the web at www.NewJerseyShares.org. It's quick and easy to sign up, but remember, you must be a Verizon Residential Landline customer to apply for eligible programs. That's Verizon New Jersey Shares, keeping the lines of communication open for you and your family. Let me tell you, buying or selling a home is a life-changing decision. Whether you're looking for your first home or searching for your forever home, Ann Coons is the realtor you need. In fact, she helped my wife and I settle into our forever home. With over 30 years helping satisfied clients buy and sell homes in the Delaware Valley, Ann Coons will give you the professional and reliable service you deserve. When it's time to buy or sell a home in South Jersey or Philadelphia, contact Ann Coons, the only name you need to know in real estate. You can call Ann Coons today at 856-795-4709. Again, that's 856-795-4709. Or learn more on the web at www.annkoonsrealestate.com. And we're back. This is Jason Springer with Sean Kennedy here on The Heart of Sports. If you want to join in, some phone troubles, but you can try and get us at 888-728-9941. Actually have somebody who wanted to talk a little boxing with us hold over from the last segment. Doug, are you there? I can, I can barely hear you. Okay, we'll, we'll try and get your point out real fast. The boxing guy, uh, Triple G Canelo, you looking forward to that fight? All right, we'll we'll try again next time, Doug. No big deal. We'll talk a little later, okay? All right, thanks very much. So, sorry it's not working tonight. Yeah, so that's what happens with live radio. You get the phones not working. Sean, that's what happens when you come and see. I wanted you here so I couldn't break things, and apparently that didn't happen. Now, I don't know if I'm responsible for said breakage. Um, maybe nobody wants to actually talk to us, and that's what happened. But um, it's going to be me and you talking for the next couple minutes. You okay talking to me? That's okay. And the good thing, the good thing is, is that knowing you in your other life is that you break things all the time. So this is nothing new. And I'll and I'll be here to save you. Don't worry. I, I'm glad that I'm glad you've got to save me. Okay. So did you watch the U.S. Open last week? Sparingly. And I am a huge <sighs> golf fan. It was not fun to watch. The scores were ridiculous. I didn't like the leaderboard. And I thought visually it just didn't look good. Look, I get Lynx golf, okay? I don't mind the British Open. You and I talked about that. I think it's great when British it's tough British Open is great. I cannot wait for the British Open. The wind, the rain. And, oh, it's great. And they're out there playing in this high rough. And here you had perfect weather. They're just landing the ball on the course. You you know, oh, Bruce Koepka wins it with 16 under par, tying the lowest 72-hole score to par in the U.S. Open. It's the seventh straight major in 10 of the last 13 that have been won by first-time winners. What does that say to you about the future of golf, that you have all these first-time winners uh, stepping up and, and sort of moving forward? Is that parity in golf, or is that the bar being raised among golfers that we're going to see a new era of excitement? Well, I think it's both. An interesting stat. I was looking at this. I knew we were going to talk about the U.S. Open. So in the U.S. Open, it was the first time ever that the top three ranked golfers missed the cut. Wow. Jason Day, Dustin Johnson, and Rory McIlroy. So there's all, hope for me. All if all these the great people can get paid and not make it, there's I have no hope. hope. There's no you. hope for me. And the reason why is because there is a lot of depth. Okay. And, and I think that you're seeing a lot of these young guys who are capable of winning. But but there are no real superstars, right? I mean, every time we think Rory McIlroy is going to become the guy, he doesn't. Every time we think Dustin Johnson is going to become the guy, he falls down the stairs. Why and, not? What What is there? I, I, is I, it, every time we think Jordan Spieth's going to be the guy, he can't remember how to putt. I, is I, it I don't mental know. for them or physical? I mean, they, they seem to have all the talent in the world. They seem to be able to 
to do everything and yet it didn't happen. Now, I didn't mind the leaderboard on. I mean, I don't care whether it's names. I care about good golf. I yeah, more had but, a problem but with. But you want, but 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 a U.S. Open traditionally is it especially brings out the best players in the world. Now we just talked about how it, the best players in the world went by does, the wayside. But my thing is, if you're rooting for the names, you know, you know, you're not necessarily a golf fan. You root for uh, good golf. That's does what it makes ma- it fun. Does to it watch. matter? Like it doesn't matter to me whether it's the number one or the hundredth ranked golfer. If he's shooting sixteen under on a course, I'm impressed. I mean, I'm impressed. Okay. That that's pretty. So okay. I think most people would agree with me. They'd rather see Rory and Phil on Sunday than than Brooks Kepka and. Well, I think the ratings would probably show that, but I don't know whether that makes it the convincing argument that that's what's good for golf or not. Rivalries, t- uh, top players. But if you look at on the third round, Justin Thomas eagled 18 to finish the day nine under 63, lowest score par in any round of the U.S. Open. There were 32 players under par on day three of the tourney. That's not supposed to happen not the US Open. on a Lynx course not in the, the US, US Open. Open. And that's what was surprising to me is you tune in expecting to see one thing and you see something totally different. Now, maybe it's the weather that was so good that they made the course easier with the talent and skill that these guys have. But it just for me, it's, it's not what you normally see from a U.S. Open crowd. I agree. I didn't like anything about the course. And did you do you happen to catch the story about it, where where basically the the guys built the course so it could become a U.S. Open course, and then the one guy ended up killing his wife? Oh my god! Just just a whole crazy <clears throat> saga about this course. But look, for me, play it at the courses we all know and love. Play it at Pebble. Play it at Oakmont. We don't we don't we don't need to build a course. I in Wisconsin enjoy to have the U.S. Open. You know, I, t- I talk with Jeff Rupberg a lot when we talk golf, and he says, "Would you rather watch it on TV or would you rather go and play?" When it's beautifully visually, I'd rather watch it on TV. Absolutely. Master St. Andrews. I mean, I don't get nearly as frustrated. I don't get nearly (laughs) as sunburned. And I don't need a nap afterwards. So, I mean, it's all good for me to watch it on TV. But when you're looking at a course like that, I just didn't find it visually appealing. I completely agree. Um, You know, I'm flipping on and, and, you know, you just, it just wasn't, it It didn't do it for me. And I think it was a combination of, and, you know, you and I can disagree on the type of names we want there. But I think it, in, in every way, it lacked a lot of the drama that we love about the U.S. Open. Before we move to the Phillies, um, because I want to close on a high note. <laughs> well, I want to give you one stat, though. Okay. I want to give you one stat, and you know I'm a Tiger guy, but just appreciate this, because we just talked about these guys that missed the cut, and we talked about how no one has really asserted themselves. How about this stat? Tiger Woods, most consecutive tournaments without missing a cut. You want to guess what it was? Oh, it was a couple hundred. 142 right? yeah. consecutive yeah, tournaments without crazy. missing a cut. I mean, the, the, Incredible. The, the level of skill that he played at for years was unparalleled. But if you look at the last seven major winners, they were all first timers. And every time. It's a different era. And, right. But every time, you know, the golf world wants to create the next Tiger, right? The next superstar, it never happens. It was supposed to be Rory, it was supposed to be Speed. Now, listen, it could still be. They're young. But nobody has asserted that kind of dominance. Yeah, nobody's nobody's really stepped forward to to take it. Um, before we go to the Phillies, uh, I did want to mention Jeff Cohn will be back with us next week. Uh, hopefully, Jeff Rupberg will too with his um, knee recovery. But when Jeff Cohen comes back, we're going to talk a little bit about an issue that happened this week. A court ruling came out in a case brought against an Oregon-based band, which had been denied a trademark because its name was considered disparaging. The court ruled that that law was unconstitutional. And you're saying, why am I talking about this on a sports radio show? Well, it has a direct impact on the Washington Redskins name. And the the decision, according to Dan Snyder with the Redskins, was thrilled about the Supreme Court decision, 
saying that they couldn't do it. He said it, it directly implicates because uh, U.S. Patent Trade Office uh, has canceled numerous trademarks for the team back to 2014. The Redskins lawyer said the Supreme Court vindicated the team's position that the First Amendment blocks the government from denying and canceling a trademark registration. So when Jeff Cohen is back next week, we're going to have a conversation about whether this is uh, good, bad, what it means for the NFL and what it means for the naming of teams going forward. So, Sean, if you want to listen in, we'll be talking a little bit of team names and what's appropriate and acceptable. Can I just tell you my opinion? Sure. It's 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 awful. And in 2017, we should not have a, a, a team named the Redskins. It's disparaging to every single person with Native American history. And I think that there are a lot of people who believe that. And I was I was frankly surprised by the court ruling, but I'm not a lawyer. Uh, and I don't know that that people realize that this ruling completely unrelated, one would think, to football could have such an impact. OK, Sean, you were down at the Phillies yesterday. You went I was there two times this week. You saw them break their their streak. Uh, I guess I'm the good luck. Charm. You are the new I did tell you before, charm. though. I did tell you when I was on before I told you that I was in Veterans Stadium for game six in 1980 and I was in Citizens Bank Park for game five in 2008. So do so, we just have to lock you in the stadium to win? Is that what but has then, to happen? But then you'd have to make me watch this team. Kind of struggling. And I don't know that I could do that. Well, it's it's a challenge. Now let's let's preface this by Matt Klintek was honest. He said that he didn't think this was a playoff team this year. Um, he was right. Their difficult season continues. They're now twenty three and forty. On pace for fifty two wins. But I'm they, glad he's not saying they're not a playoff team. It's uh, look. At least they were honest with fans. Okay. I appreciate the honesty. I didn't expect anything. I think people, who, you know, Jeff Rupperg and I debated I was say, it's this. Great, it's great not having Cohen here to tell me they're going to win 81 games. No, still. Cohen wouldn't. Rupperg would. And 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 Jeff and I debated this. And and you and Jeff have dated, debated this on Facebook that he was a little more optimistic on what the team would be. I think he thought that they would bring some more players up that, that he was hoping for. In and terms. why aren't they? Can I ask that question? Well, I it's not that they're not bringing anybody up. We talked about it with Jeff Cohen a little bit last week. What are you going to do at first base? You got Tommy Joseph hot, just had one of the better months that he's had. You're going to sit him down. He, he's, he's, last Sunday extended his hitting streak to 14 games. It was the active, most active in Major League Baseball. You're going to sit him to bring up Hoskins or, or one of your other players, Williams. And so that's the challenge right now. They did get rid of Saunders this week. And so they're they're starting to shed some of that. They are. They're starting. I, to. I think that Kendrick will probably end up being traded before the deadline. But I so don't know, right? I mean, if, if and when they get good again, who on this team is going to be part of that? I don't know. On the, the current team, I don't know that you can unequivocally say anyone. Well, I mean, you would have thought Franco. You would have thought Herrera. But I, I'm not sure anymore. Now Franco's had a better week this week. Franco, you know, last week. Bet, hit 346 with four doubles, home run, so he had a better week. Herrera, on the other hand, did not have a very good week. Watching him run through the stop sign and almost run over Juan Samuel, uh, that game, how they, I mean, Nick Pavetta pitched so good in that game, and they blew a five-run lead, lost it in extras. Oh, my goodness. I was pulling my hair out watching it. The next day, Herrera gets picked off by, by uh, Molina, standing on third base while you're there watching the game. It's just I'm watching this and my head is is literally exploding. It I just I, I don't mind a team that is building and trying. I mind mental mistakes. I mind lack of hustle. I mind some of those things. On that in that game, you saw Herrera with the base running error. Then you saw a balk in the tenth inning, move St. Louis's runner to the third. To third base, then you saw him overthrow to first base to score the runner. That's what I can't really handle. 
and frustrates me. Okay. I mean, for the most part, I think they're playing hard. I mean, Larry Boa, who's the toughest critic out there, said that for the most part, these guys are playing hard and he enjoys coming every day. And that's why he can kind of tolerate the the, the record. But but I, I, I just put me in that negative company. I just don't see, unlike the Sixers, I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel with this team. I just don't see it. Well, I think that the light at the end of the tunnel is in Lehigh. We'll see. I mean, we'll you see. see the way that that team's playing. I still but, and I, Jeff Cohen and I talk about this regularly. I have concerns Jason, about their where, depth at pitching. Where are our guys? Right. I mean, wh- where is our Bellinger? Where is our Aaron Judge? Where are they? Right. We thought it was Dominic Brown, and he is he even in the sport anymore? We don't have that guy. And you, you know, you talk about your son, and you talk about the excitement of being a Sixers fan, right? Your son could choose between which superstar jersey he wants to buy, or at least potential. Who who are you excited about? Oh, he's getting a fanatic jersey at this point. Where are that's that's the biggest name are, on this team. Where are our guys? Where well, are they? And that's the the challenge that they have in trying to rebuild the roster like they're doing. They're they're trying to do it. Again, I think that they were honest with people that this was going to happen and people didn't really believe it. I don't think anybody thought it would be this bad. And it was funny too because you know Ruben Amaro is the first base he coach was back for, the for the Red Sox. And I, and I thought it was it was nice that he finally admitted that maybe he waited a little, a little too long to get rid of, you know, Ryan Howard and all the other aging stars. And so we can be critical, but at the same time people didn't want those players to go. And well, it, you know, hindsight's 2020, you know, you want Ryan Howard to stay before you give him that big contract. Then he's got that big contract and not doing what you want. Now all of a sudden you realize that you maybe you waited a little too long and now you've got to wait to rebuild that cupboard yeah, and get I, there. But and and I know that that was the popular sentiment, but I know that you know guys who really understand this stuff did want them to go, right? I mean, you saw the polar opposite with the organization who was just in town, the Cardinals. They had no problem saying goodbye to one of the greatest players in the history of the franchise because they didn't want to pay him. He's way better than Ryan Howard, by the way. And they are always one of the more successful franchises. So, and they so stay they one don't, step ahead by they doing don't, that. Right, and they don't go through what the Phillies are going through. Let's look at the bright spot, though. Nick Pavetta back-to-back starts with nine-plus strikeouts. Uh, first one to do that since Jared Eikhoff in 2015. Prior to that, no Phillies rookie had done that since 1973. And the speed and velocity he had on his ball, the I mean, he really looked like a professional major league pitcher. Again, he's young, and they're going to go through growing pains with some of these pitchers, and you've had some injuries and some some health challenges, but that's a sign that you want to see. When you're going through a tough season, you want to see signs of, of optimism and progress. And if you're looking at progress, Franco's had a tough start to the season, but he started to play a little better. Before Herrera's had these base running errors, he was torrid in terms of doubles and and getting on base and and how he's playing before he got hurt cesar hernandez was playing well freddie galvez with another home run people didn't expect him to have that power now are any of them going to be on the team i don't know i i don't know i i don't know i and i don't think we can say for sure about any of them so so my point is we're going through this rebuilding process and By the way, Jeff Cohen is messaging me from the plane. And we're listening, still not sure. And he wants to know how you say you won't watch the Phillies when you went down to two games this week. I think it's a pretty good question. <laughs> uh, different circumstances. Different circumstances. I think it's a good question. I'll make I, sure that I, he I, knows that I got that from the airplane. I hope that he is safe in uh, in Logan Airport right now. <laughs> no, he's flying back, and that's why he's not with us. Okay, a few minutes left before we head on out of here. NHL draft tonight. Again, people will watch the naming of players on television. Uh, the Flyers have the second pick, but now there's some questions about whether they're actually going to go ahead and take the guy who seemed to be second best if the Devils don't take him because of injury history. Are we going to screw this up, Sean? 
I hope not. But <laughs> but I will tell you though, and I think it's a testament to what we talked about in the in the first segment. I mean, you know, people love the Flyers. I'm I'm a lifelong Flyers fan, diehard Flyer. People love the Flyers around here, but it has taken a back seat, right? I mean, the Flyers, oh, Sixers, the, are, the Flyers are, are about to get a a great player tonight. Whomever they get, they you know whoever they get after the Devils, and and no one seems to care. It definitely is not getting the attention. I mean, look, the excitement around what the Sixers are doing, and let's be honest, Joel Embiid's personality is is one of the biggest catalysts for that. He is the largest A little personality. more exciting than Claude Giroux. Well, Claude Giroux, but even, I mean, you look at the Eagles, Carson Wentz's personality is completely different than Joel Embiid. It's it's the excitement that and he's you make, creating. But, but, you make a, but listen, that's a great point, right? The Eagles are the Eagles. Yes. And, and the NFL is the NFL, and it's always going to be number one. But... The Sixers have an infectious sort of charisma right now that people are really embracing. Jeff Rupperg actually texts me since he can't, can't call in right now, and I, I think it's a question uh, that I'll pose to you, Sean. Has Pete McCannon lost the clubhouse? They, they haven't played good baseball since they gave him an extension. But and Jeff Cohen would probably jump on me for asking that. But because, lost the clubhouse with whom? Well, and that's the thing. The a question back would be who's are, in the clubhouse. A bunch of guys who are cobbled together? And that's the the challenge is the health issues. But I think that you're going to see, you often see people ask about management and coaching. I I don't understand what the Phillies pitching coach is doing more than their actual team coach. I, I haven't seen any much progress from some of the pitchers other than Pavetta. Really, I'm just not sure how you can look at the makeup of this team and this roster and blame the manager. I just don't know how you can get to that point. Well, I, it's, we'll, I, I get the question, we'll but see, I don't see. How you we'll get see there. who people end up blaming. Sean, we got a minute left. I appreciate you joining me this week so that I didn't break things did too you, bad. Did, did you see that Derek Carr just became the highest paid quarterback? Did you, he did. did you, That's did crazy. See, 125 million dollar five year deal, like 25 million a year. It's pretty good, right? Very good. He'll be able to buy dinner tonight. And Wentz is headed in that direction. He, he had, look, if Wentz is what everybody says he's going to be, the Derek Carr deal is the precursor to an explosion in quarterback salaries you have in this to, league. If, if you have a number one quarterback, you have to pay him. You're going to have to keep up with the Joneses. And that's going to be the last comment this week. Thank you all for joining us this week on The Heart of Sports. Make sure to join us next Friday night when hopefully my co-host will be back in studio. Sean, you'll be listening in. Everybody have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.